Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenhouse. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications. And this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Ruth, you and I have been looking for a professional to talk about the future state of modeling and analytics for a while. And we have found an amazing guest for us today. Do you remember Stephen Yu? Yes. Yeah. So he was CTO of iBehavior. He ran analytics for uh, InfoGroup, which is now Data Axel. And he's such an interesting guy because he's a songwriter and a musician. And he's now president and chief consultant at Willow Data Strategies. Um, he's quite the Renaissance man, don't you think? Yeah, this is great. Let's get him in here. Stephen, welcome to our podcast. Hi, thank you for the invitation. So glad to have you. And I want to pose the first question, Stephen. Mm -hmm. uh, analytics and modeling is a passion of both Cindy's and mine for many years. But you are a real expert in this area. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, what should our listeners know about those two subjects, analytics and modeling, so they can prepare and Cindy and I can prepare for, for the future. We're, we uh, want to get a hint of how things are changing so that we'll be on top of things as they evolve. Absolutely. Well, modeling has been around for a long time. And if you think back, the whole idea of applying modeling techniques to marketing, targeting, and those things is a, it's an old idea. The difference, the major difference now is that it is very much faster in fact, we have to be faster. We're talking about real-time personalization here. And if you're not working fast, I mean, you can rely on machines and whatnot. If you're not fast, it is already too late. I mean, we're not in control of the conversation anymore. This whole one-to-one -one channel means that the, the, the customers or the recipients of the messages can cut you off any time. So that means you have to work much, much faster. That means the analytics has to be faster. So the speed is the winner. That's number one. Hmm. Number two, it's not optional anymore. There are some companies, and in my consulting days, I, I, I'm a still consultant. First, like, I don't know, a few years of my career, it was always hard to convince somebody that you need to do these things. You have to explain the benefits of modeling. Why should you build a model and all that? And and I don't have to waste time anymore. It's not optional because the data is so abundant. Without modeling, it's really hard to dissect through the uh, whole persona or customer affinity or who's likely to do what or all those things. It's not coming out out of just mounds of data. Just because you have mounds of data doesn't mean that you have an answer. But that's number two. It's not optional anymore. If I may add one more thing. Sure. It's that it's not about how you program, and, and it's not one of those things that are owned by modelers anymore. In those old days, you have to have a degree in statistics to even right. think about modeling and what you should be doing and all that. No, there are a lot of easier tools out there. And in fact, even if you do not program, you are still uh, required to know about these things because 
sure, machines are all in place and the, the things are happening so much faster. But does it mean that everybody's good at it? And the joke is that, yes, I, I'm a guitar player, but the joke is this. Let's say that you bought some signature guitar that's like $20,000 that has Eric Clapton's name on it. Does that mean that you're going to be as good as uh, Eric Clapton and sound like that? The answer is no. Hmm. So you have to practice how to do these things. But unlike the old days, you don't have to be an expert in programming. There are so many easier tools now. And if, hmm. if you're not a player, not a player, you are the ones who have to decide what to do with the machine. Yeah. Meaning, ah. why, why are you going to turn on the machine? For, for what? To dissect a lot of data? For personalization? For what channel? Because the machines are smart, but not that smart. They're only good at one thing at a time. So you have to line up a lot of different machine learning processes to do the, 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 a lot of things uh, in, in, in conjunction with each other. So therefore, um, the whole knowledge of how it works, you don't have to be an expert. But you have to know something about what's happening in your Wow, that's so, so you cool. don't have to be an expert, meaning you don't have to be a statistician, you don't have to be a professional modeler, but you do need to think in a certain way, right? People who do analysis and modeling think about the world in a different way. I mean, don't what is it that makes let's go back to your analogy, what is it that makes Eric Clapton's guitar <laughs> sing in Eric yes. Clapton's hands. And then if I got behind it, I'd be doing, you know, do, 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 do. So <laughs> there. <laughs> you to, well, you have to build some uh, knowledge about it. It's like how the sound comes out. You have to know the basics. In other words, if I substitute guitar with the logic, yeah, you have to be logical, basically. The whole math is essentially logical. And what does that mean? That... Let's say that you're programming something, and the easy example is this. Because, you know, people say, you know, in the future, everybody should learn how to code. And some enthusiastic parents try to teach a five-year-old kid how to program. So instead of program, teaching programming, let's say that I am sitting with a five-year-old. I'll say that if you ask a machine to fry eggs, how would you ask it to do it? Now, if you think about it that way, everything has to be logical. You have to break the egg on the pan, and the, the pan should be a certain degree of hotness. That means you have to be able to measure the temperature of the pan. You have to think all these things in a logical fashion. Lukewarm, or it should be like, uh, cooked enough. Those things don't mean anything in the computing world. So you have to exercise in terms of understanding the world. I'll give you an example. If, say, somebody says high-value customer, I want to go after high-value customer. What does that mean? Does it mean that uh, the whole life to, life to date spending should be uh, really high? How high should be high? Top 15%, top 10%? What if the person spent a lot of money five years ago and never came back? Is he or she still a high-value customer? What if she shows up in a store all the time, never go for the big-ticket item, but she's a very loyal customer? Is she not a high-value customer? All those things... And what about, what about the last transaction day? When was the last time she did something? Or how often? How often measured in days between transactions? How are you going to measure those things? So just like asking a robot to fry eggs, when you mm. ask a machine to think about high value, or more frequent, or those things, those terms are very vague. So right. a lot of folks must exercise in, in expressing those ideas 
I'm not saying that everybody should learn logic and know the difference and body, what if else, all those things. No, no, I'm not asking you to learn how to program, but you should be able to express your what you want to do in a in a very logical fashion. Right. I get that. And I also appreciate how that requirement uh, for logical thinking can attract a much broader audience to marketing science, to data analytics, to the concept of, of setting up a hypothesis and, and testing it, and all of those things that we love to do with yes. modeling and analytics. So thanks for that. And I bet all the students who are listening today will find that encouraging as well. But, you know, I've noticed that consumers are getting really annoyed by some of the behaviors that marketers are pulling off as a result of the learnings that they've generated through modeling and analytics. Personalization, for example. Oh, man. We are bombarding people with irrelevant or offensive messaging. (laughs) How can we think differently about analytics and modeling so that we don't make these terrible marketing decisions? I summarize the term as humanizing the data. Hmm. It's not just bits and numbers and figures. It's about person. I mean, when you deal with transaction data, demographic data, all this click data, there are people behind it. Don't act like you know somebody just because you know some tidbits about some last click. No, you don't know that person. You know, you know who told me this? It's Lester Wonderman who passed away not too long ago. Mm. And when he was a chairman emeritus at our startup company, in fact, he, he was a chairman. He was an active chairman, too. He was so strong yeah. when he was 85 years old. It was amazing. He wrote Consumer Bill of Rights in 1999 or so. And in it, he said, you know what? Don't act like you know me and don't act mm. like we have a relationship. Just because you know something about me doesn't mean that you get a full permission to do these things. The way I see it is that just because you know something, yes, don't, don't brag about the knowledge. Turn that into a gentle nudge. Instead of saying that, oh, I know you're looking for this uh, new phone because you click something. No, don't, don't say that you're tracking every move that they make, every breath they take. But don't say that. It's more like at the right moment, just give them a gentle nudge. Would you be interested in something like this? And, and the way you make the whole um, the, the messaging more innocuous, I think, is that even the users should not have the, the how, how do I put it, some known explicit data too much. There are two reasons. One is known explicit data is really hard to come by. Let's say that you're running a cable company and you know somebody's uh, cheering for some football team. So next time he shows up on a page, you want to show that football team. Yeah, that's personalization. Great. But what if you don't know anything about that person? Maybe he's a, he's a fan of some shows like Game of Thrones or something else. Don't show him the same, same thing again and again and again just because he clicked it once. So the way I see it is that, um, one, you're only using a fraction of data when you do that. Some last click, some last view, something like that. And then you act like you know that person. That's very annoying. I call it a annoying personal (laughs) in the name of personalization. Let's not do that. 
So the way I see it is that if you put a amalgamation of all the data points that you collected so far, it could be the click, it could be the purchase, it could be interest, it could be demographic data, it could be regional data, it could be anything. Build models. And this is the theme that we were talking about anyway. Why build models? One is, yeah, we don't know everything about a person. That's why we need to build a model. Even physicists build models these days because there's so much unknown in the universe. Yeah, with all things being equal, if you build a model, yeah, we can explain that movement. So that's what they do. And we should do the same thing. Now, when you give that information to a marketer, you know what is embedded in there? That this is not the hard truth. It's just a likelihood score. And when you know that, you don't act like, oh, I know everything about you. It's more like, yeah, I think you're likely to be an early adopter. You're likely to be a family person. You're likely to be an enthusiast of, uh, say, wine or high-end TV or, or whatever. Now, if you know that, then instead of saying that, oh, I know you're into this uh, high-end TV, you don't say that. You say, you know what? You might be interested in something like this. Would you want so it sounds like you're saying we need to be more humble. <laughs> yes, we are. And the <laughs> models make you feel humble, too, because the model score is, by definition, a probability. It's not some hard score, a hard truth. And right. we have to let marketer know. And then this is another reason why the marketer should be more educated about the modeling techniques and what the probability means. I mean, we all know how to deal with it. If I hear that, oh, there's a 75 chance of a snow shower tomorrow afternoon, I don't take it as a hard truth, do I? I mean, I just, okay, I'll take it into consideration and I'm going to change my behavior. And I think marketers are the same way. You know what? This person is about 80% chance of being a wine enthusiast. We don't know that 100%, but next time he shows up at the store, maybe you will gently suggest that, hey, maybe you're interested in this new Pinot Noir that we have in the store instead right, of our right. So this is act like you know him. This is really interesting, Stephen, because I think we have gone way overboard, many of us marketers, where we have kernels of information or intent um, directionally, and we have taken it all the way to say this is the, you know, the single source of truth on this individual, we said. And therefore, we've created a whole universe around with personas and their attitudes, behaviors, their cultural um, norms, etc. So do you think we, it sounds like maybe we've taken things too far. Um, if we actually do know a lot about individuals, even if we had the facts and the data, are you saying maybe we should not go as far as we have and we should deliberately keep it more vague and let the consumer or the individual share with us more, engage with us more so that it's not as offensive and we seem more humble? Or should we just assume that yeah. whatever we know isn't accurate? Actually, um, yes. One is the, the, the admission that we, know, we don't know everything about everybody. And that leads to another thing about if you don't know, ask the question. For example, let's say, be, say you, know, you know the programs where you go to Florida and then they ask you to see the, you know, see the condominium demo. And then if you do that, they give you the SeaWorld ticket. And 99% of the people who go there are just interested in the SeaWorld ticket. Now, these things happen. But what they do is that they build models before people show up. If you have a very high score, they usher them into the high-power salesperson. 
If you're not, then you are lead, led to the kiosk where you enter more questions. I mean, the answer is okay. The point is that, yeah, it doesn't stop us from learning more about the people. It doesn't stop us from building more personas. In fact, I say the more persona is better because nobody is one-dimensional. Somebody is a bargain seeker and a cutting-edge technology seeker at the same time. Maybe the degree of the, 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 the affinity is a little bit different, but nobody is one-dimensional. So, no, we should not stop. We should learn more about them and humbly ask them if they want to. And when you talk to them, don't act like you know them. It's more like, you know what? I don't know 400%, but I think you could be interested in this. The way you say it is different. For example, remember the whole fiasco that Target, uh, the store, got into because they acted like they know that somebody was pregnant? And that's how right. the father of this teenager found mm-hmm. out that yeah. his teenage daughter was pregnant. Notorious. It's in the language. Now, the whole modeling technique that they used was amazing. They were monitoring uh, the switch between uh, the scented lotion to unscented lotion. That's one of the predictors that, yeah, sure, she could be pregnant. And the key word being could be pregnant is not the same as, yeah, you are pregnant. Now, now here's what I say. We don't go to a stranger and say and declare, hey, you must be pregnant. That's very rude. Why do we think that it's okay to say that as a marketer? <laughs> it's a common sense. So it's not the knowledge. It's not the tidbits that we collect about people. It's not the way we use them. And mm-hmm. all I'm saying is to package it in terms of the probability score so that it doesn't pass along to the marketers as a hard truth. So is modeling and analytics going to replace us marketers in the future? And we're all going to, you um. know, <laughs> sit in our Barca loungers and let the, let the models do the marketing for us? Nah, I say that whole, I think we should act differently. And then I wrote this a lot, actually, because I'm kind of worried about folks who, um, who just buy some personalization engine and think that the job is done for them. And I said, no, that's exactly how you get replaced by the machines. We should strive to give purposes to machines. And also, if you run a team of statisticians or modelers or data scientists, you'll never act like you just let them be. You'll be involved, right? And you have, you have to have the same relationship with the um, machines as well. You gotta have the purpose. You cannot just let the machine go free they will never know what to do because if you just let them be. And, and, and that's what happens is that people buy some personalization engine from commercial places and set it on a default mode and turn it on. And you know what the result is? I buy this mouse and this machine will suggest the mice two weeks after. <laughs> I mean, every day after I bought this thing already. I'm like, you know what? This is the last thing that I want to buy. You think I want to build a mice farm here? No, please don't do those things. This is exactly what happens when the market let it go free. You cannot, you cannot do that. You cannot be in control. So, you know, Stephen, we have a lot of Aspire students who have great, um, you know, uh, business decision-making backgrounds. They're interested in data science. They're interested in analytics as part of marketing. And um, if they were aspiring to 
using more data science in their careers and backgrounds, if they're looking for where to go in the future in their careers, what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, you know, you've said that a little bit of programming goes a long way, but, but what are the skills and attributes that an aspiring data-informed marketer should have in the future? Well, the math and the programming goes without saying. I mean, that's the essential skills that you have to have. You, you cannot, if you cannot go through mounds of data, at ease, I mean, you cannot struggle doing it either, then, then the end result is not good because most of data out there, whether it's big data, small data, all kinds of data, they're just unorganized, not standardized. It's just dirty. You're talking about really dirty data. So the skill to plow through all of them is a requisite. Number two, you got to be logical. And further, if you had build models, even as an exercise in school, that goes a long way. Set up a machine learning. And setting up a machine learning, by the way, it is a, it's a process. The machine will not get you the right answer the first time. You have to constantly tweak those things, and that's an exercise in itself. So those two skills are given. But I'll also say that be more empathetic and read more about philosophy, history, uh, marketing, travel the world, and see what the transaction means in other countries. I'm from Far East Asia, and when I travel there, I'm fascinated by the changing landscape of the restaurant business and all that. And by the way, in a lot of places there, humans are demoted to the packers and cook of a, of a food. The transaction is done on a machine, even in, in live stores. So the point being that the whole idea of the transaction, the, the, the line between online and offline is visible in some countries. And by the way, even if you watch TV all day long, I'll say that change the position and, and think about, hmm, why am I being targeted for this commercial? <laughs> Let's think about those things, not just be annoyed by the commercials or, or something that you skip through. But if you're an aspiring data scientist, I think you have to get deeper into the uh, human end of uh, the, the equation. Otherwise, you're just another math gig who could be replaced by the machine really fast. Mm, In fact, wow. machines are so much better at building models than cleaning up data. It is so much easier to replace human statistician with a machine learning algorithm. Wow. So, well, so that's how you do not get replaced by the machine, to think as a human being and understand other human beings. That's the key here for the future, I think. That's the key. Think like a human, not like a machine, right? Be curious, empathetic, and uh, broad-minded. And, and give uh, purposes to machines. <laughs> Don't be a follower of the machine. Oh, yes. Oh, the computer says so. That must be hard truth. No. <laughs> maybe the machine is crazy, or maybe the data was insufficient. Please don't do that. Do not just blindly subscribe to the machine answer, because that's not always whole truth. Love if that it. was the whole truth, then we would have predicted the past like eight uh, presidential elections without error every single time. <laughs> but did we do that? No. No. <laughs> no, we're wrong about a lot of things. So let's be humble about it and let's take every answer coming out of the computer with a grain of salt. I wow. love that, Stephen. You've given us so many great ideas and direction um, and with humility um, for us to think about for modeling and analytics. So Ruth, what do you think? Shall we? Yeah. Thank you so much, Stephen. That was great. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was a lot of fun talking to you both. 
Wonderful. Okay. We're going to go check out your music too and listen to yeah, it. Yeah, please check out my name on uh, Spotify and uh, YouTube Music. I will do. <laughs> All right. Thanks Thank so you, Stephen. All right. Thank you. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cindy, thank you so much for nabbing Stephen to join us. He is such a thoughtful and really profound observer of this stuff, this geeky stuff, data analytics, modeling, where obviously he has spent his entire marketing career, but he looks at it from such a humanist perspective. Yes. I I just love his his breadth of thinking. Me too. And you know, being a data, you know, aficionado and somebody who loves data and analytics, um, I really appreciate that he brings a really broad perspective to it. And that, you know what? Being interested in modeling analytics and logic and math doesn't make you a boring person who has no interest in the rest of the world, right? Like in he fact, plays music. Right. And in, in <laughs> fact, he pointed out that those are almost the table stakes for being a professional in this category of marketing, but it doesn't mean that that's all you do. You also need to be able to ask the right questions of the machine and develop the insight into the marketing problem that can then harness the machine to get answers. And that's something that all of us can do, whether we're, we're comfortable with math and logic or not. Absolutely. You know, when you mentioned that idea about, you know, how to, how to, you know, cook eggs, right? The machine, yeah. the robot who's going to make eggs for you. So you take that to modeling and analytics and you say, you always start with what's the question you're trying to answer. And then you logically back into that. What are the steps to get to answering your question? And marketers are fabulously qualified to ask insightful questions. That's what we do really well. And then I also loved how he reminded us that the data we have, as rich as it may be, and as suggestive of communications methods and, and marketing strategies, it's still incomplete. So, reminding us that Lester Wonderman wrote a, a, a brief, or I think he called it the Consumer Bill of Rights, saying, don't act like you know me. That would be, gee, I, I've got to put that on my wall, because that can be a guide to help us avoid these terrible behaviors that we marketers have been guilty of for several decades now of crafting communications that annoy people, whether in uh, assuming that we've got their story and we're saying things that are relevant to them, and also in assuming that their trend, their past behaviors are necessarily what is going to absolutely predict what they're going to do next. And I especially loved his point about presidential elections predictiveness <laughs> and how we <laughs> We have to be more inferential and 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 
and fuzzy in drawing conclusions about the complexity of humans. Yeah, you know, um, I run across this a lot um, when I'm speaking with clients and they look at numbers and they look at the analytics and the outcome of it and they take it for the truth. This is the sole source of truth. And if I say that um, the data shows this, they think... and. They think that's the whole truth, right? Like he said, but it's likelihood. And the piece of this that is hard for people to sometimes grasp is when you have a likelihood, even if it's 90 or 95%, like a 95% confidence level, there's still 5% you don't know. And the 5% you don't know may be the most important 5% of the entire conversation. So you're like he mentioned with the with the pregnancy. You know, you can make a leap of faith about the part you don't know that could be the worst conclusion you can come to. And so make sure that you appreciate that this is a likelihood to have a behavior as opposed Mm. to the whole truth. Right. And then having the humility to say, I don't know everything there is to know about you, Ruth Stevens. I'm fascinated by what I do know about you. Mm -hmm. So let's learn more and tell me more so that I can get to know you better instead of I think I know everything there is to know about you. Plus, I appreciated his reminder that we humans are the ones that give the tools and the models their purpose. (laughs) The notion that we can ever be replaced by machines, gee, I'm thinking of Hal, um, is ridiculous because it's the purpose that the machine doesn't know what it should be doing without the insight and the direction that humans Give it now. This allows us to relax a little bit about being worried about our future being, you know, um, uh, filled with the threat of our being replaced. But it also brought up his the wonderful point he made about how we should prepare by being better humans, like understanding history and 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 music and being curious and empathetic. The words that you used, I thought, were so rich. And this is also a wonderful lesson, not only for practicing marketers, but also for students who are preparing to enter the field. Absolutely. Um, You know, math programming is a prerequisite, right? But the empathy, the curiosity, the broad perspective of looking at the world makes it all very different. That's that's the secret sauce for us as marketers. These tools are no longer optional, he pointed out. I loved that. So the poets need, need to get some logic and math under their belts, no matter what. Right. So let's take this to our final um, step here, Ruth. And with all of these great insights, what would you distill this down to our top three takeaways and our three piggies? What would you put out there as our first one? Well, I'm going to guess that we don't know everything is the first key message that we, we've learned from, from Stephen. Um, that might be the one that we should put on our walls. <laughs> And that 
is a reminder that the models are only part of the truth about a, a consumer, and they're certainly not the hard truth. They're kind of speculation. So we need yes. to behave uh, as a result appropriately. Yes, it's part of the truth. It's not the whole truth. I agree with you. Um, I would say the second one um, I would throw out there is the importance of us as marketers to be um, empathetic, to look at the world, to be curious. Do you remember that fellow who was with, I don't remember, Dos Equis or one of the beers that said, stay thirsty, stay you know interested <laughs> in the world, the most that. interesting man in the world, right? Um we have to be broad thinkers so that we are looking to solve problems that these models and analytics can help us solve. But we must be bringing this broader understanding of the world uh, to solving that problem. And then the third might be we have to be humble. We have to go as marketers into the market with an understanding that we don't know the truth we are not going to assume that consumers are are behaving the way the models have predicted necessarily. So our messaging needs needs to be softer, or at least less conclusive, and more. What did he call the gentle nudge? The gentle nudge. Yes. It's more like dating. You don't ask somebody to get married to you on a first date. You learn to know about them and then more and more about them. And then you think you know a little more about them. So absolutely. I like the gentle nudge. Um, always stay humble and be open to making mistakes and learning more. Here, here. Thank you. Well, Cindy. Ruth, this was a great way to uh, kick off our our uh, conversation and a great way to end it now with Stephen Hughes. So I'll look forward to giving this some more thought. Indeed. Thanks, Cindy. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive updates.